I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a speaker practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Finua of Tafanga Nuiatara, where I'm recording today. Well, well, well. We're back. What do we call this? <laughs> <laughs> Long time no record. Uh, uh, nobody is going to know but us because we have been faithfully publishing our episodes because we had quite a backlog, but um, we took a really nice long break and we did not have to think about books, just read them for a long time and it was really nice. <laughs> yeah, so we haven't recorded since the start of April and basically we just wanted to I guess, narrow the margin, narrow the gap between when we recorded and when we published because we realized we were getting a bit bummed out (laughs) listening to things that we recorded in Christmas. Yeah, and like, since we do talk about current events, we maybe they should be more current. (laughs) Yeah, because when we first started, we were like, we won't talk about current events. We'll just talk about the book. But obviously, like 20 seconds later, we broke that rule, didn't we? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, this will be interesting. We live in the here, Jen. We live in the now. Yeah. Not the six months ago. Well, speaking of the here and now, um, what sparked joy for you this week? Oh, I had a great week, actually. Um, So my kids are back in school. School holidays has just finished. But as you know, my son broke his leg the first week of school holidays. So it was really good that we kind of got into the routine of dropping him off and he's got a wheelchair for school which was great um but on Wednesday night we had to go and visit my brother-in-law because he has been keeping care of my office chair when I didn't have anywhere to put it because my current setup is too small but I've moved back into the sewing room so I needed to get my office chair so we drove all the way down to visit my brother-in-law and pick up this chair and my kids loved it for some reason it was like the best night and we put James and the Giant Peach on on audiobook in the car so we were listening to James and the Giant Peach on the way home because it was after it was like 7 30 or 8 o'clock when we finally got there and it was like 8 30 when we left let's stop and get something from the servo so we stopped at a petrol station and I was like do you guys want chips and they were like chips so we got potato chips and that wasn't their whole dinner but it was kind of like the first thing that they had for dinner and it just felt so magical and it was just a really great night hanging out with my kids and listening to an audiobook and like eating illicit chips on a Wednesday it's not, that, it's not a normal thing, but it just felt really fun. And then the next morning, my daughter said, Mom, I thought about it all night. I really enjoyed it. And I loved it. And it was just a really fun night. <laughs> it was so cute. Because, yeah, I had fun, too. So that's what sparked joy for me. It was just a random midweek trip to pick up an office chair. <laughs> that's so lovely. The best chips are illicit chips, I think. Yeah. I mean, we also bought ourselves a bag of salt and vinegar chips to share because they're the most delicious. Um, and I felt very much like Baz with the salt and vinegar <laughs> chips everywhere because I totally did take them to my bed and eat them while reading my phone after we got home. Um, what sparked joy for you this week? Uh, well, I'm just incredibly busy at the moment. There's just a lot of spinning plates um, going on in my life. But I guess what sparked joy for me was knowing that I'm making time to still do things I enjoy, like prepping to record with you this week, like having not done it for almost three months, and then also recording my other podcast, because in the meantime, I've started a new podcast. Yes, plug it, plug it. 
Yeah, so it's called A Tardis of One's Own. It is a Doctor Who podcast. My friend from work and I are watching all of the new Who, so starting with Christopher Eccleston's Doctor and doing it through a queer feminist lens. So each episode we talk about a, a feminist question that has arisen based mm-hmm. on the, the episode. Um, and yeah, we record that after work on a Thursday. So it's just quite a fun little thing to do. That is awesome. And I am so proud of you. And I'm so excited because like, I don't really know very much about Doctor Who. So I'm excited to like dive in and look at it through a different lens. It means I get to watch it again. And I don't think I've watched it in like a long time. Yeah. Well, that's why we wanted to do it. Because, you know, after Shuti Gatwa was announced as the new Doctor and we love him in sex education. And we were talking about how, you know, how sad we were that we hadn't stayed up to date with Doctor Who. Um, Because you lose touch with things and yeah why not watch it again and see what we get at from it this time so it's interesting going back and starting with nine is so fun too yeah when i first watched it i would have been like 1920 so a lot has changed since then so excited i'm so proud of you i love it so much i love the art for it i love i just i'm just beaming with happiness for you because it's such a cool project and i love that you're undertaking it and now i can't wait to meet sophie in real life too (laughs) well yeah when you come visit you can meet her yay well Let's kick off the book, should we? Yeah. All right. We're reading Anna and the French Kiss, which is extremely adorable, and it is such a fun book. Um, I'll go ahead and read the blurb. So Anna is looking forward to her senior year in Atlanta, where she has a great job, a loyal best friend, and a crush on the verge of becoming more, which is why she's less than thrilled about being shipped off to boarding school in Paris until she meets Etienne St. Clair. Smart, charming, beautiful, Etienne has it all, including a serious girlfriend. But in the City of Light, Wishes have a way of coming true. Will a year of romantic near misses end with their long-awaited French kiss? It is a very cute book. I've only read it the one time after you recommended it to me. I don't know if it was, I think it was after we'd been to Paris and you were like, you should read this book. I think I'd read another depressing book and I often come to you when I've read something depressing. I'm like, please help. I need a palate cleanser. And you were like, read this. It's super cute. Which it is. I will say like, I struggle with romance books like this quite a bit, but Mm -hmm. I, I really enjoy this one just because I find Anna really relatable. And also because I moved to a new country to start school when I was in a formative teenage age. And so I really relate to a lot of her feelings and her experiences so yeah I get a lot out of it from that point of view it is very different to other books we've read so far so it'll be an interesting experience doing the sacred practice with it trying to find those deeper meanings I did have a a moment where I was like wow this is such a straight shooter of a book right like this is a book that does what it says on the tin like you don't really have to go very far to get meanings out of things and I'm so used to having to like dig and scrape and compare and like really really look for things that it was really refreshing to just be like, oh, this is where she obviously is experiencing an anxious moment. So it was kind of nice. I think it's going to be a good one to ease us back into recording again. Yeah, I think it is a good one to start off again because, yeah, like I do feel a little bit out of practice. And also, you know, the books we've read, both The Raven Boys and Carry On, a lot of trauma in those books, like yeah, a lot going on. So this is just a straight up one. And also, welcome to all the new people who joined us over the course of those two books. It's so lovely to see you all listening. Sorry, we're not just doing the sequel straight away (laughs) but patience is a virtue that's right and it's good one of the things I love about listening to people talk about things that they're reading is that I get talked into reading what they're reading and I really love that that's like one of my favorite things when someone recommends me a book or talks to me about a tv show or 
lately it's just gift sets on Tumblr. I'm slowly getting Tumblr mm. into both Nancy Drew and The Boys, I think it's called. I keep seeing gift sets and I'm like, hmm, this looks like something I might enjoy. So yeah, I I really hope that if people are looking, like you say, for a palette cleanser or they just want to have like something different to read that they consider this book because it's really cute and it is such a good example of like YA that feels young and feels fresh and actually feels like it was written by a teenager even though it was not written by a teenager. Yeah. And I mean, like, we also want to drag out our experiences with those series, so don't want to rush through it. It's nice to take the time. We should say what our theme is, I guess. So our main theme for this series or this book is youth, which is very applicable. (laughs) Yes, I agree. So agree. And I love it. I loved how as soon as I read it, I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is somebody who really is young because they're immediately saying the first part of the book, she says, this is what I know. And it's not that much, Mm -hmm. which is a real hallmark of youth. Like, I don't actually know that much. I haven't experienced this. I haven't been to this place. Yeah. And thinking that you know a lot and then every day you're just being brought up short on the things that you don't actually know. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things you get right away is that Anna has no ego about it. She knows that she doesn't know a lot. She's very aware of what she does know. And she often gets quite fatalistic about the things she doesn't know, right? Like, Mm. what's going to happen when I am not there? What if my brother eats the thing that he's allergic to and that he dies and there's this whole, like, she catastrophizes a bit, but... It's very young as well to sort of follow each hypothetical to its worst logical conclusion. I really love this book in that she just takes it and goes, I don't know what I'm doing. Help. Hmm. We've all been there. We've all experienced that. That's me still quite a bit. And I'm not by any definition young anymore. Still young. Yeah, but 40 is getting so close, Jen. I'm really excited. I'm only a couple years away now. Like milestones coming. It's also still young though, 40. Let's be real. Yeah, that's true. I never feel like I'm old, even though I'm older, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, Do you have any thoughts on youth as a theme? Yeah, so I was just thinking what I would like to focus on as we read this Mm. through the the theme of youth is just how learning and discovery is happening. When you're still young, when you're a teenager, you know, you think you've got things figured out, like we said, but you're just presented with new information and everyone deals with that differently. And it can be incredibly stressful, but also very rewarding. So it's a cool thing to look for. And, you know, there's also still the opportunity to experience things like feelings for the Mm. first time and everything feels new and so important and so big and like what if I never feel this again because you've never felt this before and yeah it's kind of like a tiny bit of everyday magic so I want to look for that as well it is magic um how about you what do you want to focus on with youth I think I want to think about how youth is both like a stage of life but it's also a social space so like when Mm -hmm. you're young you're part of a demographic that's both got a lot of potential but also you're kind of being like dumped on by the generations ahead of you we joke like okay boomer now but when the boomer were young like in their teens they were called the me 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 generation and now that same sort of criticism is leveled toward like what are we calling them the gen z i don't know what they're called the 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 tiktokers whatever they are the youths Mm -hmm. no offense to any actual tiktokers i don't really know very much about anything that's not on tumblr but yeah i want to look at how it's a social space as well as like a liminal space because you are in this really in-between area where you're old enough to know better but you can't really decide everything on your own so you kind of have to go along with what the grown-ups are saying but they actually are just sort of slightly older adults right and you know when you're young it doesn't mean you're dumb it just means that you don't have the experience so there's a bit of like that it's not ignorance it's just literally being naive not having that experience so I kind of want to look at that cool yeah Yeah. 
Oh, well, let's get cracking, shall we? So this week we are reading chapters one to five through the theme of choice. So do you have a story for us about choice? I do. And I actually have a story about choice that is about when I was young too. This is very exciting. Appropriate. Okay. So one of the tips that parents pass around to like trick their toddlers into eating things is to give them a choice between two things. So do you want broccoli or do you want Brussels sprouts? And I do pass that advice on because it does work for some kids. But I can tell you right now that me, as a kid, I had already reasoned through being hungry, thought about what I wanted to eat, and then got attached to the decision that I wanted to eat a specific food. So being given two choices never worked for me because it was almost always not the choice that I actually wanted because I'd already thought that through. I really needed a good reason why I had to choose between these other things when I had already decided I wanted like scrambled eggs instead. So from an early age, I was able to decide what choices existed, whether or not I could actually choose them and advocate mm-hmm. for them. This made me a frightfully stubborn kid, by the way. As I got older, I did not get better at being <laughs> made to conform to the choices other people made for me. My mom and I had so many dumb arguments that boiled down to this. I wanted to be able to make my own choices, but my mom didn't think I was mature enough to, so she yanked back the tether and then I felt choked by it. And it was just the cycle of us fighting all the time. For my 17th birthday, my dad finally intervened and he told my mom, just let her go. She's not dumb she'll probably make fine choices but you just have to let her go and I think he was saying this for her mental health like he was saying like you need to stop obsessing about it because it's not making you any happier and it's not making her happy and my mom thought about it and I know she probably hated it but she did she let me go she gave me a few rules like you know stay on curfew and keep my phone charged I had a phone by this point and then she just let me go off and do my own thing and suddenly with the world full of options with the freedom to make my own choices I often chose to be more responsible and mature even when the impulsive grand crazy thing seemed really enticing and I was fully able to do it. I liked being less tethered to someone else's choices because it gave me the freedom to do the right thing and then I was proud of myself for doing the right thing. It was like I needed the space to decide for myself, but I had been given this really good moral compass. I was very lucky that my parents had raised me with a certain set of values, so I was able to make good choices, but I really did need the space to make them. So that's something I try and remember now as a parent. My kids more or less have good moral compasses as well. I can trust them to make good choices, and I can help them to understand what good choices are. And sometimes they're still going to choose things I don't agree with, but if I try and corral them, they might bolt or feel choked Mm. by that tether. And that's a lot worse than not getting my own way about whether or not they wear a jumper when it's chilly outside right? I want them to be safe, but I want them to know that ultimately they are responsible for their own choices. They deserve that freedom just as much as I did. Lovely. That's my little story. It's interesting how I think as teenagers, often the problem is just not having a choice or feeling that you just have to do things that your parents have decided or that they, choices that they're making for themselves, you're just forced into and you don't get consulted. Oh, yeah not even the illusion of a consultation it's just like this is what we're doing and that's what really is the source of a lot of conflict I think yeah I think also it's really hard when you're young you don't you don't really know you can't see all of the pitfalls before you but your parents have probably lived all of this and gone yeah no okay if you do that you are going to get 20 speeding tickets and then not be able to afford it or you won't be able to drive yourself to school like they know what happens if you go too fast and not just the like horrible wreck stuff they are able to look at the consequences because they've lived them or seen them played out in other ways when you're young you just think that that's not going to happen to me or that's not likely because you don't know Mm. and also when you're young you just really want to do what you really want to do yeah especially when you're that age and suddenly you're like you're old enough to be able to do things you know yeah oh man it always killed me that I couldn't do what everyone else was doing even though I didn't want to do all of the things that everyone else was doing wanted the option man wanted to make the choice yeah yeah uh would you like to read the chapter summaries for this week yeah sure thing so 
Anna Oliphant's tragic romance writer dad thought it would be a good idea for her to study abroad for her senior year, but Anna disagrees. She already misses her brother, her bestie Bridget, and her job at the multiplex. But now she's stuck in a place where she can't speak the language and knows nobody. On the upside, her next door neighbour Meredith seems pretty great, and there is also a beautiful boy named Etienne Sinclair who immediately befriends her too. So, you know, things are looking up. <laughs> yeah, she's still homesick though. I've really felt that. That homesickness is hard, man. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult, and especially when it's against your will. I don't really mm-hmm. understand why her dad sends her to boarding school. Neither does she. She says it's for. So her dad is basically Nicholas Sparks, which I just love. Like, this is one of I know, favorite. like the subtle dig <laughs> at Nicholas Sparks, hey? The cable knit sweaters and the white smile and the like orange leukemia tan. <laughs> protagonist. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. And people really love those books. And I don't want to dunk on what anyone is reading. But there is some like tragic aspect to these stories that they're, they're meant to elicit a reaction in you and they don't feel like a genuine thing. And that's what that's what Anna's really hating. Yeah. But she like she says her dad wants something. He wants this cultural relevance. So sending his daughter to boarding school in Paris feels like a shortcut to that. That's how she views it. And I don't know if that's true or not, because as we've said, she's young. It just seems like a weird thing. Like, why would that benefit his reputation of his daughter's in boarding school? You know, strange. Yeah, yeah. And like, she doesn't want to be there. She doesn't want to be no. there. And she says it. I think she maybe like 20% wants to be there. But 80% of her definitely doesn't want to be there. Yeah. I've noticed that we've chosen yet another boarding school book. <laughs> so good. So let's just plug. If you want a, a good episode about what boarding school is actually like, we did a bonus episode with my friend Frank where he talks about his bo- boarding school experiences mm-hmm. in the carry-on season. I think episode three of season six. So yeah, go give it a listen. We did a whole <laughs> interview and that's like, we left the interview as it was because it was just too good not to include the whole thing. But yeah, so yet another boarding school book. In this one, she even says it's so Hogwarts, like page Three, you know, who sends their kids to boarding school? It's so Hogwarts. And I love that it's immediately called up like, this is my experience as an American with boarding school, Hogwarts. Because literally, that's everyone's. Yeah, totally. I do think it was funny when she was like, except there's less cute wizarding boys. I'm like, I have never in my entire life thought of Harry as cute, but okay. Harry (laughs) is cute though. I know, it's just like never entered my mind as a descriptor for him. Like I would never describe those books as being like cute wizarding boys. Yeah, I guess it's just interesting. It just to me shows a very different, like this is a real challenge for me mentally to put myself in like Anna's shoes because this kind of, the way she thinks about boys all the time, the way she thinks about romance all the time was not my experience. Like I do not work like that. I'm on the aromantic spectrum. Like this is not my jam at all. So for her to be like, yeah, boys, 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 boys. I'm like, oh my God, you need to chill. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm trying to be like, let's channel that energy. I love that. I was very, like, boy crazy, I would say. Yeah, I was very much like everybody was attractive and I was feeling the feelings all the time. I never was able to act on it, really. I had a boyfriend all through high school, but um, I noticed a lot of people, like a lot, a lot of people. I just listened to The Hunger Games again, and there was this great moment where Katniss and Peter were talking, and he said, oh, I noticed every girl, but I kept coming back to you or something like that. And I'm like, that's it. That's it. Like, yeah, you might notice everyone and be like, yeah, they're pretty or they're cute or whatever, but you keep coming back to the one person. And that's Mm. how I'm starting to see that with Anna Netienne. Like, she's starting to notice him more. But then as soon as she thinks about the boy that she's been flirting with back in Atlanta, Toph, she's immediately like, oh, I'm so homesick. I just need to go and sit and cry for a bit. Mm. 
because she had this like potential thing and it felt so real it feels so real and so valid to her yeah the potential is often the best bit the thing that made this feel quite young like the youth aspect came through for me really strongly in the way that everyone's in a clique and everyone gets boxed into a thing like yeah Anna immediately when she meets Meredith she's like okay where do I put her like she's obviously the artsy people that comes as a surprise to me but she's also like a soccer player so you know but she's not a tomboy so she's like trying to put her in the right box and then when Mm -hmm. she has that um interaction with Amanda in the dining hall and you know she's like the posse of pretty preppy people and I'm not surprised to see the faux surfer hair stink eye guy sitting with her like everyone just falls into a line and that can be quite mean but that's teenagers that's true that's very much how you feel about it when you are a teenager especially when you're entering into a new space you're immediately trying to categorize everybody because I think when you're younger when you are in the throes of youth you know you're really trying to work with the experience that you have which is quite limited and so if the experience that you have is like yes there are these cliques and groups of people then I will just immediately assign them to what I like how I've perceived them and you see this in a lot of teen movies right so like 10 things I had about you it gives them the tour of the the campus and he like this is this group this is this group same with clueless mm. You know, go in, explain what all the groups are. Mean Girls. Yeah, Mean Girls. Mean Girls even has a map. I loved that. I mean, that probably works like that. But from the perspective of somebody who sees how fluid friendships are, and maybe it's changing for like the next generation. I know that my daughter sort of doesn't belong to any one group. She just goes from friend to friend as she wants to and as they have room for her. Like, it's not like she's part of a clique or or anything. So I wonder about that. Like, what does that look like in terms of, you know, for the next generation? I just don't think it's as prevalent, but definitely for when we were growing up, like specific cliques was a thing. We were meant to think about them. We were told that they existed and then we put ourselves into categories quite often. I wonder if it's also not just because when you're a teenager, especially a teen girl, the things you love sort of become the defining element to you. Like you love that so much, you know, like you see this with Meredith and the Beatles, like this is OTT fangirl behavior, right? So it becomes kind of the personality. So naturally you're going to gravitate towards people who have similar interests or Mm -hmm. who express themselves in a similar way to you. And then you end up in this thing where it's like clicks. Although I sometimes take issue with the the word click because I'm like, it's just friend groups. Like click implies there's a negative connotation to click. Yeah, click is like you're not allowed in. You have to be invited in. But friend group, Mm. you can sort of float around. And that's I think that's more reflective of reality. I mean, there are definitely going to be some people who are not allowed in. And that would be a click. I mean, friendships are by nature different between everybody. So, of course, friend groups are permeable. They're just they can't hold if they're not. Then they become what? Tiny dictatorships. (laughs) I think another thing that really shows Anna's youth is how self-conscious she is. And she's self-conscious about the fact that she's the only one crying. She thinks she's the only one crying. She's self-conscious because that that popular girl makes a dig at her hair, which she likes, but she likes, so she's defending it, but she still feels a bit weird about it. And the same with Rashmi, right? Like she pretends she doesn't care, but she fiddles with her glasses. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of that, like just, you're not, quite comfortable in your skin yet you haven't learned to put your middle finger up at anybody who says anything about you yeah it's fascinating it's this idea that you you know do not perceive me you want to be invisible you don't want anyone to see you or notice you except for the people that you want to notice you you know like there's very few exceptions to this but in general like if you see teenagers out for example with their parents in a Mm -hmm. in a mall and you see how they try to like fold into themselves because they do not want to be perceived yeah don't talk to me ah I don't want to be seen hanging out with some old person. I'm glad that my kids aren't at that age yet. It will break my heart when they're like, Bleh. Um, I do like that 
she really loves her home, though. I think that that's really nice. And I like that she acknowledges that lots of 17-year-olds would probably be extremely keen to be out of home. And she's just like, but I want to go back. I want to be there with my, I don't know, she's got a pet of some kind, like a guinea pig. And she wants to make sure that she's the one watching her brother because she really thinks that she is the right person to watch him. You know, she even tells her mom, please take care of him. Like her mom is not going to look after her own child. Mm. I mean, she's, she's very, she really loves her home and she loves her best friend and she loves her her life and that's a really great like I love that I think that's a really great sign that's somebody who's pretty happy with themselves I do love that kind of thing you have this fear of missing out that comes in but the fear of being Mm -hmm. replaced as well like you know she's worrying about Bridget taking her place in her life like and but also wanting to be missed like she talks about how she wanted Bridget to be the one to write first and she says on page 43 maybe because I wanted her to think I was happy and busy I didn't have time to talk when in reality I'm sad and alone like, she wants to project this aura, but she's also worried about Bridget, like, collecting her life. Mm. It's very, very accurate to how you feel in that situation. Yeah, and I love that you flagged that because later there are things that Bridget does where, you know, Anna comes back for Christmas and she's like, you have literally collected my life. Mm. Like, some of those things do happen. So it's a justified fear that, it, like, she, she'll have moved on and grown in a different way and her life won't be back there waiting for her. And that's a really hard yeah. thing to learn. It's just the expectation that when you leave that everything kind of stays in this, it's stuck in amber, right? Like it's a stasis and you're going to go back and pick up the threads and it'll be exactly the same. And it is a harsh realization the first time you realize that doesn't happen. For some reason, you just think it'll happen. And I vividly remember being like, you know, it's harder being the one to leave than have someone leave you because Mm. I don't know, there's just like, it just feels harder. Like it's sad when someone moves away that you really like, right? Like that's a, a hard thing to cope with as well. But when you're the one leaving, I think that's a harder experience because you just feel like you're immediately forgotten. You feel like everyone moves on without you and you're just like, cool, I've got nothing. Yeah, that is hard. And and I think Anna addresses that, you know, she she's moving a year ahead of schedule in the u.s it's really common for you to leave mm-hmm. home at 18 and move out to university and she's already got plans to go to california to study which is quite far it's the other you know it's the other coast it's atlanta's on the other side of the country from california but she's just not ready now and she doesn't want to do it now yeah also just the shock right like so she's gone from a big school to a small school and mm-hmm. this idea that she's taking someone's place like she you know oh she's you're the, the new brandon. brandon yeah it's hard it's a hard thing That's another sign of youth that this Amanda person was just like, oh, I'm going to remind you that you don't belong. I think that sometimes when you're younger, you do have to say, no, you're not supposed to be here. Someone else was already here. Also, just like in terms of youth, this idea that this is such a weird time for Mm -hmm. you, like age wise, like you're old enough to be considered responsible for certain things, but adults still treat you like a child sometimes and want you to just follow the rules. So, yeah, it's such a, a complete juxtaposition because you're like am I responsible or aren't I like are you going to treat me like a child or are you going to tell me what to do like or you need to let me be myself you know all these things so even when her dad says on page five well kiddo guess you're all grown up now it's just summed up in that line like he's still calling a kiddo but he's telling her you're grown up yeah yes it's so weird the more my kids approach that age the more I'm like how do we think it's okay to turn 18 year olds out on their own without any sort of support? Like you're still growing and changing emotionally. What? It's crazy to me. And look, I was the kind of person who like at 17, I was like counting down the days till I left home. Um, Because again, I really like being in charge of my own life, but like still I needed support and I would have loved to have had someone who was like willing to meet me on my terms for that. Like, here's what we can do and what do you need help with and how can I help? Not you're doing it wrong. 
you know, this is what you should be doing, but like, what can we do to make it work for you? And I think that a lot of kids, when, especially teenagers, when they get to that age, they really want that guidance, but they don't know how to ask for it because it seems like we just drop them off and let them go. So yeah, you're right. There is this idea that like Anna's being told she's grown up enough to go live overseas by herself for a year, but she doesn't feel like she is and she doesn't want to be left there. And then they leave her there anyway. And she's like, oh my gosh, I have to deal with this. I just think it's also what leads to a lot of conflict and a lot of confusion and anger in teenagers as well, because, mm. you know, you're told that you should be, you're too old for this and you should be more mature and you should be more responsible, but you're also not trusted and you're not given yeah. the choice. You're not given options. You're getting told what to do and like, not under my roof, but in the same breath, it's like, you're too old for this. So which one is it? You know? Yeah. Stop messing people around. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Speaking of choice. Yes. The main thing I took away from this is just like, when you don't have a choice, it just makes you feel so powerless and mm-hmm. things feel so much more un- unbearable because they're happening to you against your will. Yes. And then you can't even appreciate the things that might be good because it feels like it's just been forced upon you. She starts out by saying, I've tried yelling, begging, pleading and crying, but nothing mm. has convinced him otherwise. Like He's decided I'm going to this boarding school and I'm going to go. And her mom goes along with it and she's sort of stuck in this place where she can't really say no and I was talking about this yeah I was discussing this with my husband and I was like I guess she could have just gotten there and then gotten expelled it would have been real easy to just get sent home right away right start a fire yeah like just do something really objectionable but she's not the kind of person who thinks that that's an option like that's not a choice she's willing to make so she's more likely to go along with this thing that she doesn't actually want to do and try her best at it rather than just be like no I'm going home no matter what you say you can't keep me here I'm going back she also says on page 17 if this were a vacation I'm sure I'd be charmed and then she's like but I'm not on vacation Mm -hmm. I'm here to live and I feel small and how different her experience of the city would be how different her feelings would be if she was just consulted a bit more rather than just being told like even if they get like if her dad wanted her to go to boarding school be like hey I want you to do this thing it'll be a great experience here are the two boarding schools choose one yeah 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 I mean I I've got a friend one of my friends from the um Harry Potter sacred text reading community groups Roberta she's a fantastic resource for people who loved boarding school she said it many times it was the making of me and I just like I can't like to me that blows my mind because I think I would have really enjoyed boarding school as well but like the specific type that she went to where it was actually a really supportive environment and she had a lot of like really great friendships and good experiences like I think I would have loved that but for my kids I'm like oh my gosh I would miss them so much (laughs) like as a parent I don't feel like that would be an option but as a kid I was like get me out of here you know I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to test my limits. I think Anna feels comfortable enough in who she is and what she wants. She doesn't really have this need or desire to test her limits. So being made to do something that's so alien to her is like, but I want a choice in it. I already know who I am. I already know what I want to do. Why do I need to do this other thing? Yeah, and she makes that interesting point where she says on page two, you know, the whole boarding school thing is a lot more about my father than it is about me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This idea that, you know, this choice is about him. It's not about her. So she, there's almost no point for her to even argue about it because she doesn't really factor into it at all, which is also just like so demoralizing. Yeah, it's objectifying, right? She's like a thing that he can brag about now. She's still not a person. Not really. And she talks about how he's quite well off, but like her mom still struggles. Like he helps in some ways, but like really, I looked at this from the perspective of somebody who has been poor and is now comfortable. And I went, oh, so probably part of the reason the mom went along with this is because that is one fewer person that you have to feed and clothe and buy stuff for for a year. Mm. And it's not really going to hurt them. 
and you actually like if you kind of can get sort of 75% of the way there it's not hard to get the other 25% of the way I thought this is economically a good choice for her mother but it's a terrible thing to think about that her mom was like actually this makes sense financially that your dad will pay for all of this because it's probably more than he's ever paid for yeah and also she's probably like well it makes economic sense and also it'll be better for her in the long run Mm -hmm. because she'll have a better experience or like things that I can't give her she will have in this environment right because of my economic situation so it's a horrible position to put someone in though it's very manipulative like stop withholding money yeah yeah I I do not like this uh, James Ashley person that her dad is I don't like him I like that she immediately talks about how he decided to become the next published author started writing these tragic romances and then all the ladies eat it up and so they've made him a bestseller and they love his cable knit sweaters but they've turned him into a jerk and I love that she immediately picks it as he used to be a perfectly normal human being but like now he's playing this character I do kind of love authors who just find a niche and then just write the same book like I just Mm -hmm. I I kind of admire it I think you know it takes some it takes some major to do that some of them you can just see like find and replace replace name with different name find and replace (laughs) replace job with it like it's the book is the same it's the same and like you know what it sells people are reading them people enjoy them go for your life it's not a bad thing I mean there are definitely times I'm like oh I'm feeling a little bit emotionally blocked time to live oh yeah let's find let's get you know Romeo and Juliet on TV and just cry our faces off and then I'll be fine like you know sometimes that's a useful way of doing it but I, I feel like, again, I don't want to dunk on anybody's favorite type of books, but I really have a hard time when the entire point of the book is to break your heart. Mm. I've been reading romance my whole life, right? So I think that the happy ever after is a valuable and treasured ending. And I never mm. liked it when Mandy Moore died. I just don't. I'm going to say it. Mandy Moore should live. Veers on fridging, right? Like you're mm-hmm. using this person and this death as a, a character development tool for this other person. And that's horrible. Like characters should be whole enough to not just be someone else's character like yeah yeah i mean if they're the main reason for the book they can't be two-dimensional you're right james ashley terrible (laughs) what's he doing wearing cable knit sweaters he lives in atlanta come on it's warm there well does he we don't really know where he lives he might live somewhere else maybe he lives in new york now impressing his new york Mm. friends I thought it was interesting that choice can be such a micro thing, you know, like, and it can really change the way you live your day to day mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, she chooses to open the door to Meredith, even though she's embarrassed about crying. She chooses to sit next to the group at lunch, even though she doesn't feel like she'll be welcome. Like she doesn't, yeah. she's not convinced of that, but she makes that choice. She chooses to just eat bread because <laughs> she feels embarrassed. Like, And, you know, she, on page eight, when Meredith is knocking on her door, she says, she calls again and I'm obliged to crawl off my bed and answer the door. You're not obliged to do it. Like, if it was me, I would have just ignored the door. But she chooses to get up. And that that is an active decision. It's a decision that shapes her experience of the school. One thing I thought was really interesting was that even though she obviously is close to her mom and loves her mom and they have a really good, like, relationship, her mom has stopped giving her choices about it. Like, she says, you need to lose the bitter factor pronto. Like she's done. Her mom is, I can tell, I can tell her mom is done. And then her mom's like, you can't take ceramics. You need to still take math, even though it's not a requirement. And she's like, why are you putting me in this school in a city renowned for its art and not letting me take an art class? I mean, she's quite funny about it. But underlying that, you're seeing this is a person who's still shaping her decisions against her will, against Anna's will. Like her mom is still in charge of those decisions and Anna just has to Mm. go with them. 
So that was interesting to note that her dad might be making this larger decision about sending her to school, but her mom is sort of micromanaging some bits of it. Like, no, you're going to take these classes and you're going to stop being bitter about it because this is actually an incredible opportunity, which is not untrue. It is an incredible opportunity and probably she's sick of hearing about it. I can understand that as a parent. Sometimes you just want to be like, okay, I've heard you. I just need five minutes. Stop talking about it. Yeah. And it's not going to change, right? Like you can keep complaining, but it's not going to change anything. So just stop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's a really hard one because the complaining does feel good, but also like for everyone else, it does not. So yeah. I'm a big fan of just complain once at the start voice your objection, complain about everything and then just let it go because continuing to complain will not fix anything. Yes, have the whinge and then if it can't be solved, it can't be solved. I ran across this great thing which said don't criticize someone unless you're willing to help them with fixing it. Hmm. And I'd heard it before because I'd saved it into my phone, like my camera roll. Um, But it has made me think a lot about complaining. Like, do I get to complain if I'm not willing to fix it? Is this something I can fix? Because if I can't fix it, but I have to endure it, then I think I'm allowed to complain. But if I can fix it, then I'm I'm done with. I don't know why this has reminded me. Sorry, this is going to be a tangent. That's all right. But I had a massive rant in the office this week because there's been a lot of articles about people complaining about air travel Mm. and complaining about losing luggage, being stuck in airports, like being delayed, flights being cancelled, pilots being sick and not turning up and they're not being replaced, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, okay. There is a pandemic on. Yeah. I don't know why you think that the airlines would be immune from this. Why am I reading multiple articles on news sites about people being like, I deserve a medal because I was in LAX for eight hours. First mistake was flying into LAX. <laughs> Second mistake. Like, do you think yeah. any New Zealand is going to go into accounting and be like, we need Gary from accounting to go fly the plane? Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? There are only so many pilots. If they're sick, they're sick. Yeah, and also everybody was retrenched. There just aren't enough people. Exactly. It's an industry that had to lay off almost all of its staff for two years because they couldn't operate. Like, what do you expect? You're still traveling. You're like, you have the privilege to travel. The borders are open. What are these articles achieving? It drives me mental. Anyway, so just no. a little side I hear, It's like every time I hear somebody complaining about how lockdowns are demoralizing, I want to be like, yes, yeah, so is death. Dying. Long COVID. That's really demoralizing. You know what's more demoralizing? The state we live in now. So I was just very angry about that. Anyway, (laughs) Fair um, enough. I love that Anna chooses to treat someone kindly, even though she doesn't have to or necessarily, you know, that's a choice we make whether we want to or not. You know, it costs nothing to choose to be kind. And she does this when she goes to get her schedule, right? On page 29, it says, I step forward, say my name as kindly as possible to make up for the jerk who just left. And I love that about her. It says so much about her character. It is nice when you get someone who sees the other people. I've been thinking a lot about the idea that empathy is expensive for kids because it's a truism in a way that like when you're younger, you're you centered in a way that as you get older, you start to have more awareness of the world. And I think we're really seeing Anna at that changeover, right? Where she's starting to realize that it's not just her, but she still thinks a lot about herself. She still is very much, what is everybody thinking about me? Where do I sit? What do I do? And that's so true to being a teenager. You are constantly worried about how you are perceived. Mm. Um, But she's also noticing when people are treated badly. She notices that and catalogs that because she's kind to the girl who comes out of the bathroom, who we later find out is Isla from the third book in this series, this group of friends. Like she's, she's, she's the kind of person who notices and makes choices about kindness, which I really appreciate. Can we get a shout out to Meredith for being amazing? I just love her. 
Yeah, I do think it's a good example of um, both youth and choice when she's like talking about where she's going to go study and she does this little sneaky, sneaky look at Etienne and she's like, yeah, well, I've always liked London. That is a bad decision being made for a dumb reason. Mm-hmm. Where's that? I, I actually wrote down in my tangential marginalia that um, boys turn girls into such idiots. That's something that, that Anna says that just made me crack up because she clocks herself thinking, well, maybe I don't want to learn French so that Etienne can continue to take me to breakfast every day. And she's like, oh, why am I being so dumb? I'm like, that's right, girl. You are being dumb. Just learn your French. It's going to be okay. I love that she also is pretending like she's choosing not to like Etienne because she's like, well, you know, he has a girlfriend and Meredith obviously likes him. So, you know, he's just off limits, but it's not a choice you know she's not actually making that choice when you feel that connection with someone it can be really hard to just er, put the brakes on she does her best like i will say she really does her best to put the brakes on i think she's just like a romantic right she just likes having crushes she likes talking about it she likes thinking about it she's like tina from bob's burgers <laughs> maybe not as extreme <laughs> no One of the things I've always appreciated about this book is that nobody looks perfect. Um, But, like, she talks about Etienne having, like, imperfect teeth, but his smile is still described as lovely. And he's a short king, right? He is not tall. But he carries himself well, and she really vibes with that. Like, we get all these, like, things about people descriptions and they're not negative they just exist and I love that she finds these things attractive because it's really nice especially this book came out in 2010 right so this was the heyday of like either everything is dystopian or you're dating a beautiful vampire so it's great that there's this book about perfectly normal teenagers having these perfectly random experiences and finding someone who's not like a cover model but still attractive I love that I needed that so much as a teen yeah there was one thing that I flagged that I did not like and that's when she describes Meredith and she says she's tall and a big but not overweight big volleyball player big and it's so unnecessary to put in not overweight big like that sentence would have worked on its own like if you just go yeah. she's tall and big volleyball player big like I don't like it yeah because by putting the exclusion and it makes it sound like it's bad if she was overweight big like yeah anyway I think that might be a product of the time thing yeah 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 and I also did not like that Josh called Rashmi the old ball and chain because I hate when people do that but anyway, yeah. that's just my personal beef. <laughs> I did enjoy that Josh and Sinclair immediately, like, I love that Josh was doing the bit about how it was really his year to get with Sinclair, and then Sinclair just immediately hopped on with it. I love it when friends complete the bit. That's one of my favorite things, when you have a friend group that just knows each other so well, they could just jump right in with the jokes. It's the best. Doing bits is the best. Commit to the bit. Yes. For way longer than it's funny. Exactly. And uh, did you have anything else on youth or choice no i think i've got a few tangential though yeah um i really think that meredith is the best and i love that she is so welcoming and amazing to to anna right in the beginning like come in i've got hot chocolate she lets anna go through her stuff which that would make me crazy like just having somebody like pawing through my things i would be like yeah what's what's happening why are you touching all my things weird behavior from anna (laughs) yeah but she's like fascinated by it and she loves it and it's like it's an art project right so she's She's feeling somebody experiencing her immersive exhibit, I guess. And then the next day when she invites Anna to sit down with her, she says, I should have knocked on your door. You look so lost. Like she acknowledges that Anna needs that like help. And she's just really lovely. And I just like for for you, Meredith. I also want to talk that I think she has a bit of anxiety. So, oh, yeah. She's worried about everything, worried about how things are going to happen. She doesn't have a script for anything. And I super relate. So definitely wanted to flag that. 
Um, how about you? Yeah, I agree on the anxiety. She's always talking about her stomach clenching and her chest feeling tight. And she basically has a complete, you know, breakdown as soon as her parents leave. Like, that's a proper spiral. And then the whole thing about her brother, the catastrophizing, the spiraling. Yeah. Which, you know, when you are younger, all those emotions are a lot heightened and you feel everything so much. But yeah. I just, yeah, it's definitely an anxiety situation going on, I think. For sure. I've mentioned most of my marginalia. I think the only other thing I will say is just I love Paris. I love Paris so much and I just like it's another thing I really love about this book you really get the city the city really comes mm -hmm. to life in it and there's this lovely line when she talks about when she's walking to the the dining hall the first time and she you know talks about the city being pearl gray overcast sky and the stone buildings emit the same cold elegance but ahead of me it shimmers in the rain like everything is just so lovely and I love Paris in the rain I just think Paris is amazing so mm -hmm. yeah into it into getting more beautiful descriptions so I need yeah. to spend more than three days there I think well, apparently I'm in the minority because I have not met another person here in Wellington who enjoyed their time in Paris. Everyone's real down on it. That's um, because they're from Wellington. I just love it. I especially love... No, these are people from all over the world. But I especially <laughs> love the Latin Quarter where this book is set. So mm. I just... I think it's gorgeous. I liked hanging out in Paris with you because I know that you loved it and that made it so much more exciting for me. I think when you're with someone who really enjoys it, that's what makes it special. That's kind of why I don't like traveling unless I'm going somewhere that someone already is. I'm not a very good tourist on my own. I just want to go to Paris now. That's all I'm thinking about. I really liked mm -hmm. it too. I thought it was great, even though it does smell of wee. Well, this is the argument. People are always like, it's so dirty and the people are so rude. I'm like, that's literally any major city. This I don't understand true. why you're getting fixated on it. Like, it has so much to offer. Just like the art you have available to you in Paris is yeah. phenomenal. I, that, that alone makes it worth it. And then the food. No. The wine. Oh the wine's so cheap. The wine's cheaper than Coke. Like, what is the problem? The coffee. The coffee is amazing. The bread is amazing. The cheese is so good. I mean... What did we do the first night? We went and found empanadas at a street. Like there was a, a, a band playing and we found empanadas and they had empanadas from like a street vendor. And then we went to a little grocery store and bought all of the cheese and prosciutto that we could carry and brought it back. It was amazing. And that was just like two days. Crepes everywhere for like a euro. Like, yeah. Still <laughs> glorious. All right. I do have an in-depth marginalia. Um, okay, so mine is on page 18. She's just getting into the school, like going into her first day of school. And she's been there because she's done the like life seminars. But her thought is, how can such a school really exist? And how is it possible that I'm enrolled? My father is insane to believe I belong here. So I think that like she's just arriving and she's really nervous. I think that it shows her youth in the way that she doesn't know what to expect. So she's just decided that she doesn't belong and when you're young you really want to belong you really want to fit somewhere and she feels like she fits back in Atlanta she doesn't feel like she fits here she's talked constantly about how her clothes are from Target and everyone else looks like they have ponies back home right so she's feeling very like outside of it um she's really worried about the social stuff too which is quite a hallmark of youth um and I think there's something really interesting here is that she has a lot of choices she has to make and she doesn't know if she's going to make the right ones she's got a fair bit of anxiety about that and that's a very common thing for when you're young you just want to be like am I doing the right thing am I making the right choice is this what like who's going to judge me for this we know she likes her routines we know she's miserable about being forced into the situation she didn't choose and I also think there's something to be said for like assuming you don't belong because you feel awkward I don't know I kind of outgrew that I just if I I often assume that I'm invited until it's really clear that I'm not and even then it takes me a while sometimes so what it reminds me of in other texts I am the kind of person who really likes their house and their neighborhood and my little friend groups and when I have to 
go out and do things that are unusual to me I find that really challenging I mean it took me like three years to go to a different Ikea because I had been going to the one that I go to for so long that any other Ikea felt like a very like a foreign country so I'm a lot like Anna in this like I really like my space and I really like already having my groove and doing my thing but you know it's good it's growth to go and push yourself to do anything so like going forward I just want to make sure that I have an eye on the growth opportunities that I'm not limiting myself by being comfortable Hmm. I need to find the beautiful hallway boy in every situation um, even if it feels unreal or like I don't belong look for the positives very important to remember how about you? Do you have an in-depth marginalia? I do. So mine's on page 40 and it's a bit of a, a long one, but it's the bit where she has had lunch and she started thinking about this boy she liked back home and how they shared a kiss and then she starts spiraling and runs off to the bathroom to have a bit of a cry. Yeah. And she says, I miss home so much that it physically hurts. My head throbs, my stomach is nauseous and it's all so unfair. I never asked to be sent here. I had my own friends and my own inside jokes and my own stolen kisses. I wish my parents had offered me the choice. Um, so pretty clear cut here on choice, right, as a theme. Yeah. She feels like she's been forced against her will. All she wants is a choice. She just wanted them to like even acknowledge that she should get a choice. And then of course just youth because it's so hard. It's so hard to like be a teenager, end of story. Mm. But then to also like feel like you have a cl- like you belong somewhere, you have a group, you have everything figured out to like get through life in your little area and then to be transplanted into a new situation not only do you not have that but you're seeing other people have that and you're just reminded of what you lost constantly Mm. um it just reminded me of my own experience so I moved my family moved to Australia when I was 14 I turned 14 a month after we moved I had never changed I'd, I'd never moved out of the, the suburb that I'd grown up in. I went to primary school with the same people, basically went to high school with the same people, had the same best friend from the when I was eight years old all the way through. So when I moved to Australia, and I also moved to a school where I had to start going to school in a different language, it mm. was incredibly difficult. It didn't feel like you belonged. You were an outlier in the first place because you're an immigrant with a weird accent in this situation. So you're standing out all the time. You don't feel like people like you. You feel like people are being forced to include you against their will. Like Rashmi is a bit forced, you know, like people are mean to you for no reason. You don't want to be there. You didn't choose this. Like I did not want to go. The worst bit for me was my, I feel like my parents, my parents immigrated for me. Like that was always the thing. Like Ah. they were going to, so I can have a better life. Right. But it was so hard for them too. Like it was horrible. It was just hard across the board. And I felt like I couldn't be honest about how I felt because then I'd be letting them down. Like they didn't need me suffering on top of what they were already going through, right? So it's just a horrible, horrible time. And it like, I think how I want to use it going forward is just to remember, even when things seem absolutely terrible, it doesn't last forever. And I know it sucks when people say this. I know it sucks when people are like, it'll pass. And you know, the only way out is through and bad times don't last forever. But it is true. Yeah. And once you've made it through what you think is the worst experience of your life, the next time you're in a bad situation, you're like, well, I made it through that so I can make it through this. And that is so incredibly valuable. And I think as a learning experience for Anna as well, this will be really, really valuable. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It all adds up. I want to go back in time and give you, like, I know you don't like hugs from people you don't know, but I just wish I could be, like, a benevolent person to be like, you are going to be okay. You're great. Everybody's going to love you. I wish I could just go back in time and reassure you. The worst bit, I also got chicken pox. So we moved in October. In December, we went to this Christmas party and this horrible woman had brought her child who had chicken pox 
to this party. I'd never had it before, so I got chicken pox. So mm. I was so sick. And I think I still had like scars and marks all over me when I had to go to school for that first day. Like, so, you know, I was already not feeling great. And then you yeah. have to go to school and you already feel like everything was just horrible. I was, it was horrible. I was horrifically depressed. Like I could not leave my room, basically. I would just go to bed and read Harry Potter over and over again. And yeah. I went to the doctor because my mum, I was sick all the time. Like yeah. I just couldn't go to school. And the doctor was just like, to my mum, I was making it up. Just didn't want to go to school. But what I can now recognize is just horrific depression. My hair was yeah. falling out. Like, it was oh just horrible. Anyway. Oh, I'm sorry. But it's fine. In retrospect, I also, lived. It's fine. How did we have chicken pox at the same age? That's ridiculous. I had chicken pox when I was 12, almost 13. It is the worst yeah. time because you get so sick and then you're covered in specks and spots. Just at the worst time to be covered in specks and spots when people start to notice other people having specks and spots. So itchy. Yes. Oh my gosh. I just like we all four of us had it at the same time. My poor mom, my dad was working somewhere miles and miles and miles away, like two time zones away. And my mom was just dealing with all of us laying in like piles around her bedroom on her bedroom floor, like coughing and crying. And she was just like, I'm I'm going to get through it. Just I do not envy my mother that I'm so grateful for the vaccines that we have now, which Mm. means that the next generation never has to get it. Um, okay, well, which character would you like to spotlight this week? I'm going to spotlight Meredith because she's tall and sensible and incredibly helpful. And I love that she has such a strong personality immediately, but it's not like, I love the Beatles. You just get it from observing. So she's not a pushy type of person. She doesn't like force herself onto anyone else, but like you get a really clear idea of who she is and what she likes. And like, she's so open and vulnerable and she's like willing to be helpful. And I just love that because it's hard out there. And being the friend that someone needs is a really hard gig. But I love that she was there for, for Anna. So great job, Meredith. You're amazing. Yeah. How about you? Who do you want to spotlight? I'm going to spotlight Anna because, like I said, it's a very hard thing that she's doing. It's hard to be the new girl. It's hard being in a new country. Doubly so if you don't speak the language. And you know what? Yes. Big hugs to Anna. It does yeah. get better. And you will have a great time. But I know it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. Well, next week we're going to be reading chapters 6 through 10 through the theme of complaining. Woohoo! Something that you love to do. And also things that, <laughs> something that I love to do. So it's going to be great. I'm really excited. And I'm so glad we're back. Yay, we're back. I know. It's great. Get back it in the routine. Great. Warm up our marginalia muscles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Our very, not rusty skills, but like we've had a nice break. I think my brain is ready to get back to it. And I'm glad we are. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for doing this. And thank you for making the time every week. I just love that we've really dedicated ourselves to this. And I love that we're back at it. Thank you. Me too. Can't wait to see where this takes us. I know. It's going to be so good. All right. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginally Potter is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginally Potter on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com. 